0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series Authentic 2, a study of the letter of 2 John. The short letter of Second John is full of big topics, helping to define an authentic Christian faith and life. We hope this helps you understand and apply God's Word in your life today. Today we're going to be looking at 2 John chapter, well, chapter 1, the only chapter, verses 7 to 11. 2 John Verses seven to eleven, as we are uh, drawing nearer to the end of our series here on the letter of Second John. So, hear now the word of your sovereign Lord and Redeemer. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver. And the Antichrist, watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take him into your house or welcome him anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work. A few years ago, uh, a book came out quite a number of years ago now, actually, uh, The Da Vinci Code, and it was a hugely popular book. People talked about it a lot and, because it had this plot that supposedly the author Dan Brown had written, that supposedly there had been this a quiet subterfuge at the Council of Nicaea in 325, that the church had had uh, decreed and put out the Gnostics, who had really maintained the teaching of Jesus, and supposedly, according to Dan Brown, the Gnostics had taught that Jesus was just another human being, a very good human, but he was just human. And supposedly, Jesus had in fact married Mary Magdalene, and they had had a child, and the child the, the line continued all the way to today. Um, the, the, well, there were so many problems with the book, but one of them is basically, if you ever read that book or watch the movie, anything Dan Brown said about ancient Christianity, he got wrong. If I tried to contrive a group of errors, I could not have been as good as he was at missing every single point including the fact that the Gnostics did not think Jesus was merely human, which was the central point of the entire movie. In fact, the Gnostics said Jesus was fully God. They had no problem saying Jesus was God. Their problem was the exact opposite. They said he wasn't actually human. It was an entirely different group that was involved at Nicaea, uh, known as the Arians, who were denying the deity of Christ. So uh, he got it completely wrong regarding uh, the particular heresy that was being dealt with there and who the Gnostics were. So today I, I bring that up because we're going to be looking at this group, the Gnostics, that are actually here, but not the way people think about them in popular imagination. You can actually read, if you pay attention in popular literature, periodically they'll bring up old Gnostic writings and do things, but they're usually completely mischaracterized as to what they are. So we wanna ask ourselves, who were these early heretics? Why did John say they were not authentic? Why were they unauthentic? And how does it matter today? Why is this not just an ancient history lesson, which I assure you it is not? So let's dive in and look at what John's saying. First thing that John's talking about is, in a book that's about authentic, that which is authentic Christianity, John wants us to know that there is an unauthentic group. And that is a group that has an antichrist message. Notice in verse 7, he uses the word deceiver twice. He says, many deceivers... Uh, and then later on in the verse, he says, any such person is the deceiver uh, and the antichrist. So John says, look, I want you to understand, I'm talking to you about that which is authentic. I've been talking about authentic truth and authentic love, but there is also that which is deceitful. There are deceivers. In fact, John says, there are many deceivers. And furthermore, there's not just deceivers, but notice what he says, they have gone out into the world. He uses the same language in another passage that we'll look at later in 1 John 2. These deceivers are not just sitting around in their living rooms having a conversation, they are actively out propagating their message. Just like we are sent forth with the gospel, they are going forth with their false gospel. And it's essential for us to grab this idea if there is authentic truth, there will also be that which is unauthentic. Just you can count on it. When there is something that is true, there's going to be an opposite that is false. When there is something that is authentic, there is going to be that which is unauthentic or fake. And John tells us this group is unauthentic not because they're hypocritical and that their lives don't line up with their teaching, but rather because their teaching itself is false. The problem with this group is their doctrine, their teaching. Notice in verses 9 and 10, which I put up there, John uses the word teaching three times we've seen in this letter when John's on something you can kind of just say well which word does he keep repeating and that'll give you a clue as to what John's wanting you to think about and right here it is the word teaching three times that characterizes these uh, people see our culture tends to think that belief and emotion determine authenticity if I really feel it that makes it authentic That's baloney, that's foolishness is what that is. Only that which is objectively true is actually authentic. John's claim is not that these deceivers did not really believe what they were saying. His claim is not that they weren't living up to what they were saying. His claim is you believe what you're saying, you're living in accord with what you're saying. The problem is what you're saying is wrong. It's false. It runs against the truth. So these people were sincere. They're just sincerely wrong. And that's a message we need to grasp today because one of the ways that we think of as being authentic is if I feel it, it must be true. That you're already way off the path and you start going that way. It does not matter what I feel It matters what is objectively true. And notice John says this isn't just a little error. He uses very strong language to say how serious it is. Notice in verses 7 to 9, he refers to these people, as we've already seen, twice as deceivers in verse 7 and in verse 9. But notice he also then says that the person, or twice in verse 7, he says, any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Now when I read that, maybe your ears kind of perked up a little bit like, what? But that's what John refers to them as, this person is the antichrist. Furthermore, he says in verse 8, if You take this teaching and you follow after it, you can lose your reward. Notice in verse 8, watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. John says if you start following this, it's going to cost. There is a price that goes with this. And in fact, he tells us in verse 9, anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching that we apostles gave to you, but they're running after this other group, they do not have God. But if you continue in the teaching, you have the Father and the Son. So he says, this teaching actually cuts you off from God. It's deceitful, it's the Antichrist, you lose your reward, and you're cut off from God. John's wanting you to wake up. He's wanting me to wake up. He's saying this is very, very serious error that's being discussed. So what is the error? What is it that is unauthentic? This is the Antichrist and his gospel. And gospel I put in air quotes because it's not a real gospel. It's actually very bad news. So what is it? First off, notice, that they're unauthentic because these people, rather than being like Christ or being Christians, are actually the Antichrist. So John, again in verse 7, he refers to them, any such person is the deceiver and the Antichrist. But he tells us specifically what it is about their belief here. In verse 7, he says, they do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. They're particular error was this group said, hey, we're with you. Jesus is God. What Jesus came in the flesh, what Tony read this morning, verse 40, the Word became flesh. No, 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 no. For reasons that I'll explain in a minute, they said, no, that's not possible. That can't be the truth. And John says, if you deny that Jesus came in the flesh, if you deny that Jesus is truly, fully human antichrist... That's the label that he gives. And again, he says, they've gone out into the world. Now, what's interesting is, you may hear, because you, know, you can watch movies about this, or if you read Christian fiction, you read all kinds of things about the Antichrist. And it's usually this political figure who's going to rise, probably in Europe, and blah, blah. blah. Okay, we're going to read every time the word Antichrist is used in the Bible, because it's not many. And they're all by the Apostle John. He actually does it five times. So we're going to see what the Scripture actually says regarding who the Antichrist is as opposed to what you might have read in Christian fiction. First off, first time John mentions this is in 1 John chapter 2, in verses 18 and then again in 22, he's summing up and he's talking about the same thing. And notice what he says in verse 18, dear children, this is the last hour. How many of you are living in the last hour? okay? Are we any more in the last hour than John was in the last hour? See, when Jesus was crucified, buried, raised, ascended to the Father, you're in the last hour, all the way till now. And John says, here's what happens. Because it's the last hour, as you've heard the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. Then in verse 22, Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. So notice three times he uses the word Antichrist here antichrist in the singular antichrist in the plural and then antichrist in the singular again but the third time it's actually a collective singular because any person if you know a thousand people who deny that jesus is the christ john says they're all the antichrist so how many of you have actually met the antichrist every christian who's ever lived has met the antichrist Because anyone who denies Jesus Christ actually is the Antichrist. They are against Christ, which is what the word means. And specifically it says he denies Jesus is the Christ. Then John brings the word back up again in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. He says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Does that sound familiar? See, in, in 2 John, it's there, these deceivers, these false teachers that have gone out in the world. Here he calls them false prophets, but it's the same phrase. They've gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from god but every spirit that does not acknowledge jesus is not from god this is the spirit of the antichrist which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world so notice we got false prophets going out into the world and they are the antichrist just like the false teachers who are going out in the world the deceivers are the antichrist same message is told here and notice again The central issue being dealt with is they deny that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, exactly like 2 John verse 7. It's the same basic points that are being made. And John says, whenever you run into one of these people that are saying, No, I believe in Jesus, no, 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 he didn't come in the flesh, John says, not a believer, not authentic. They are unauthentic. In fact, they are the antichrist. So when you put that's every time the word antichrist is used in the whole Bible. You just read them all. So when you look at what it tells us, the antichrist is a deceiver, a false prophet, a false teacher who's teaching an unauthentic message. The primary emphasis is not a single individual who wields oppressive political power trying to coerce believers. That's not the emphasis. The emphasis is a group of people who seduce by a deceitful false message. And the central issue, again, is not them trying to get political power. The central issue is the person and work of Jesus Christ. The God-man truly come in the flesh to work salvation for you and me. That's what's central in who the Antichrist is. Now, To understand the Antichrist and their gospel, why John's so worked up about this, we have to understand kind of who they are. This group is an early form of what became known as, or what's often called, Gnosticism. And the New Testament is full of references to this false teaching. We're not going to go through all of them this morning, but if you're taking notes, you can jot it down or you can look. Uh, They'll be out, uh, I believe, in the discussion guide. They'll also be in the outline that'll be published. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 7, Paul's dealing with this Gnostic group in Corinth. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22, he's dealing with this Gnostic type group in Colossae. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, he's writing to Timothy, who's at Ephesus, but he's dealing with a general thing, and he's dealing with the Gnostics again. The entire Gospel of John uh, references Gnosticism over and over again. We, we heard in the introduction to the Gospel this morning, right off the bat, he's saying that Jesus, the Word, became flesh, and he dwelt among us. Uh, 1 John deals with it all over the place. We just read several of them, 2 John and 3 John. And then if you read the letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, the seven churches spread throughout Asia, they deal with Gnosticism as well. So this is all over the New Testament. It's also very, very well known now. We've discovered many of the ancient Gnostic writings. People used to scratch their head and like, well, who was this group? Well, we've uncovered many of their Documents. This is, again, what Dan Brown completely botched up in the Da Vinci Code. But we've uncovered many of their writings. These Gnostic, they had their own Gospels. They had their own uh, set of Scriptures that they were adding in because they were trying to add to what the Apostles... They, need, they, they had fresh revelation that went beyond even what the Apostles had. But here's the key points that we know about what the Gnostics believe just based on the Scripture... And these have been verified as we've uh, uncovered their writings. First, the Gnostics taught that physical matter was inherently evil. If you touch your skin, that's your problem. You've You've got a body. Matter is evil. Inherently. There is no such thing as good matter. Therefore... Jesus did not become flesh. That's ridiculous. Flesh equals sin. You can't say the word became sin. And flesh is sinful, therefore Jesus could not be truly, fully human. They denied the incarnation. They said that Jesus is not the God-man. They believed he's fully God. They had no problem with that. But they did not acknowledge that Jesus Christ had come in the flesh. In fact, what they often said, one of the main groups became known as the docetus, which comes from a Greek word that means to appear. Because they said, well, he looked like he was human. I mean, if you looked at him, you thought he was human. That was God trying to help us understand. But he wasn't really flesh. He only appeared to be flesh. Do you hear why John begins First John and says, that which was from the beginning, which we've heard with our ears, we've seen with our eyes, we've looked at, our hands touched. I felt the guy. Don't tell me he wasn't real. I touched him. I held him. I felt him. He's as real as you and I are. John's not just being pedantic. He's trying to get at this group and say, he didn't appear to be human he actually was and even continues to be human now this is important because it changes everything it changes what redemption is and what salvation is what i'm going to do is i'm going to put up a table where we're going to run through some of the major points here if you go all the way back to the beginning and you say well what is creation The Gnostics say, well, the problem is when this one little G-God that was kind of down from the big G-God, when he made matter, that messed everything up. Because matter, the material universe, your body, is your problem. Your humanity is your problem because it's inherently evil. But Orthodox Christianity looks and says that God created and every day he says it was good. Seven times concluding with, in fact, it was very good. Not only is it not evil, it's positively good. Not only is it not your problem, it's very good. This is the way I have made you and it's good and right. Well, then if you say, well, then how is there evil in the world? The Gnostics said, well, there's evil in the world because when you were created as flesh, that was your problem. Your problem is that you're a flesh being. Orthodox Christianity says, no, our problem was spiritual and physical disobedience, and it's both we disobeyed in our soul we disobeyed in our body we died in our soul and we died in our body the fall is not that i'm flesh or have a body i disobeyed in my spirit as well as in my body well then how are we going to be saved well this is where we come to jesus christ And the Gnostics look and say, well, he is truly God, but he only appeared to be human because he can't be human because that would be fallen, that would be sinful, that would be taking on the very thing we're trying to get out of. But Orthodox Christianity says, no, Jesus is truly, fully God, and he is truly, fully God human God took human flesh and our entire nature the church hammered on this for hundreds of years every part of what you are he became except for sin because becoming human doesn't make one sinful sin is not essential to our humanity it's the fall our body is is part of our humanity. It is essential to our humanity. So if Jesus didn't become fully human, there could not be salvation. He could not fulfill our obligation to God. Well, how does redemption work then? What what is it that Jesus did? Well, for the Gnostics, they said, well, Jesus taught this secret knowledge. The Greek word for knowledge is gnosis, from which we get the word Gnostic. They said We have this secret knowledge. Look, you got Peter and James and John, and yeah, I know they were there with him, but we've got, we've had more revelation. And what you really need is this deeper revelation we have. If you pay much attention to the American church, bells ought to be going off right now. There's a lot of Gnostic teaching running around out there. And they said, actually, what happened is that one of two things, either Jesus only appeared to be human, and so really it was just an appearance on the cross, or if there really was a human Jesus and the divine Christ that anointed him, he left him before the cross because uh, Jesus never really died. He was spiritual, and he continues to live spiritually, but he never came into actual contact with our fleshly bodies. Christianity says No, Jesus lived in obedience in his body for us, and then he physically died to pay for our sins and was literally, physically resurrected to secure salvation. And if you go to 1 Corinthians 15, which I didn't list earlier, but Paul's still dealing with Gnostics who said, hey, the great news is when we die, we get out of our body. Paul says, what are you talking about? The hope is the resurrection of the body. And if there isn't a resurrection of the body, then Jesus wasn't bodily raised. And if he wasn't bodily raised, there is no hope. You're still in your sin. Any idea of Jesus' resurrection not being literal, physical, bodily, and continuing in that state is pagan heresy. It's not Christianity. Well then, how do we receive it? What is justification? For the Gnostics... Justification is about acquiring secret knowledge. This is why you need to go to them. We've got, I mean, yeah, you've got the Bible, but I heard a special word from God that's gonna tell you what you need to be knowing and doing in 2021, okay? That's the way the Gnostics operate, beyond the apostles, beyond God's written word. How's justification for Orthodox Christianity? It's not about secret knowledge. It's faith in Jesus's Life, death, burial, and resurrection. That's what justification's about. Well, what about sanctification, me growing in holiness? For the Gnostics, there's one of two ways you can look at this. And we see these both in the Scripture. In Colossians chapter 2, they said, well, since your body is inherently evil, punish it. Colossians 2 is do not taste, do not touch, don't have anything to do with this. Treat your body harshly. And Paul says that doesn't actually help restrain sin at all. The other group of Gnostics, you can see them in 1 Corinthians 6, for example. They said, no, no, no. You need to understand your spirit is pure before God. What you do with your body doesn't matter. So I'm loving Jesus with my heart, but I'm going down to the temple to sleep with the temple prostitute with my body. But it's okay because what I do with my body doesn't really matter because my heart is pure before Jesus. The apostles look at both of those and say that is all abject foolishness. Sanctification is the spirit is working to actually help you walk in holiness in both spirit and body. Your soul and your body are being purified. Both your internal desires and your outward actions, because both of them matter. And as Jesus said, what comes out of the heart will come out through the mouth. What you're meditating and thinking on, that you will actually do, and they both matter. And then, well, where are we heading to? What's the end of the story? This is the consummation, or you can think of it as glorification. For the Gnostics, it's like, here's the good news. After you've spent your whole life sleeping with temple prostitutes or abusing your body, whichever way it is, You're going to die and free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. I'm out of this physical body. I'm out of this prison house of the soul. I am free. I'm living like Plato when those guys thought I was going to live. Orthodox Christianity says, are you out of your mind? Our hope is the resurrection of the body. You are going to be back in your body because you are, are a soul-body fusion. You're not just your soul. You are the two together. Now, I've run through all these, and if you think of this table that I just gave you, you could actually look at any philosophy or gospel out there. There's actually, you, you could fill this in. Apple has a way of filling in that table. So does Google and everybody. Technology has a way of filling in that table so does Islam, so does Mormon. Everybody's got a way of filling it in. And you're going to see, usually if you get off on one, you're off on all of them. Do you see why John's upset? This isn't a minor thing. He's like, you got the beginning of the story wrong, you got chapter 2 through 20 wrong, and then you go to the end, and oh dear Lord, you're completely gone. Every part, beginning, middle, and end, we disagree. We disagree on what it means to be human. We disagree on what our problem is. We disagree on who Jesus is. We disagree on what redemption looks like. We disagree on how one actually receives the work of Christ. We disagree on what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives, and we disagree what's going to happen after death. Other than that, we're pretty much on the same page. I mean, they could not be more different. And think in terms of those questions And ask yourself that with every philosophy and everything that's going on out there. Ask how they answer those questions. And to whatever degree they're wandering from Christianity, you're going to find yourself in trouble. So it's not a difference of minor details. It's a completely different faith. It's a completely different gospel. So how do we apply this? What does this mean to us? Because you could be sitting here saying, well, that's very neat, Brett. And if I lived in 300 A.D., that would be very applicable. What does that have to do with me today? First thing, do I see there's an ever present danger of heresy? Even if there was no Gnosticism today, it would still point out the idea of that which is unauthentic is an ever present reality. And in fact, these aren't just disagreements over small points, okay? We can have disagreements over minor details regarding the Christian faith. That's not the issue. That's not what we're talking about. These aren't small disagreements. It's the heart of the faith, what came to be known as a heresy. Okay? Baptists and Presbyterians don't consider each other heretics. There's some disagreement on some points. But other groups are heretics. They are outside the Orthodox faith. We see the evidence of heresy all over the New Testament. The apostles were having to work about it. If you read early church history, excuse me, it was a struggle for the church for centuries. And in particular, the earliest form and the most universal form was Gnosticism. This was the first heresy the church really had to wrestle with. And I want to tell you, it is alive and well today. In fact, I would argue that Gnosticism is more alive and well today than it has been at most any point since the early centuries of the church. Now why do I say that? There's a couple of things that are going on. If you pay attention in our culture right now, you'll hear reference to something that is known as transhumanism. And this is a, this is a hope, and this is not a minor thing. I've, I've taught on this in the past, and you can look back at a series I did called The Church in the Eye World, a number of years ago where I looked at technology, and one of the people I mentioned a lot in that series, and he's still alive and kicking, Ray Kurzweil, amazing creator of many different inventions through the years, but Ray Kurzweil is a chief engineer at Google, Say, rather large corporation, rather important group of people, and he's got the levers of power. Ray Kurzweil is a transhumanist. Which is to say, he's right now, today, getting infusions in his body and taking pills because he's going to live forever by downloading his brain onto a hard disk. Because what they will refer to is, your body is what they call wetware. It's not you. This is just meat. The real you is these chemical things going on in your brains, and we're going to download those into a computer. And he's actually trying to recreate his father in a computer. I'm not making any of this stuff up, okay? And and it's not just one guy doing this. This is a regular feature of what's going on. We're talking about trying to download ourselves and create ourselves digitally because there is a belief that your body doesn't matter. That's completely wrong. Your body is essentially you. So is your soul. But you are your body and your soul together. Maybe it's not transhumanism. Has anybody heard this phrase? I was born in the wrong body. I'm born with the prostate. Every chromosome in my body says I'm male, but I'm not a male or vice versa. Has anybody ever heard of anything like that? If if you're ever, ever, ever going outside your house, you are hearing that constantly today. Make no mistake, it's Gnosticism. It's saying the body doesn't matter. What I feel inside matters. Okay? If I feel like an aardvark from the planet Anselmia, That's what I am, except for I'm really not. Every cell in my body says, no, you're actually a human from planet Earth, and you're a male of the species, and you're approximately this tall, (laughs) this old. But see, we're trying to get around that. So this is not just some egghead thing. Many of the people you're going to be at work with tomorrow, this is the way they're thinking now. It is deep in our culture. And make no mistake, it's not just a few fringe people. The average person in our culture is buying into these ideas now. My body doesn't matter. You hear this even from people who are proclaiming to be Christians. My sexual behavior uh, is actually okay with God, even when it clearly contradicts the scripture, because God made me this way. See, I know that's what the apostles said, but we've gone beyond. This is all Gnosticism, and it's everywhere, and it's affecting even the church. And it even affects Orthodox Christians. I won't ask you to raise your hands on this, but have you ever heard the phrase, I am a spirit, I have a soul, I live in a body? Heretical Gnosticism. Not true. You are a soul body. That's what you are, biblically. Your body is as much you as your soul. The essential you is not your spirit, which rules your soul, which controls your That whole path is unbiblical. It does not line up. It's very Gnostic, but it doesn't line up with Orthodox Christianity. Or when we think of heaven, if I picture what heaven's going to be like, And it is something along the lines of there's this kind of ethereal place and I'm like a spirit and I'm floating on the cloud and I'm plucking the harp strings and I'm kind of in this eternal worship service and everything's kind of light and airy. That is completely unbiblical. That has nothing to do with how the Scripture actually presents heaven to you and me. Heaven says, We're having a feast, and we're told it's the best wine you've ever drank. It's the best meat you've ever eaten. It's all very physical. I actually loved it when C.S. Lewis did the great divorce The problem when we got to heaven was not how light and airy it was, it's how light and airy we were. The grass was like knives on our feet. We had to get toughened up because heaven's not less real than the real world. It's more real than what you and all, you and I have ever experienced. This is just degraded by sin. But please remember, any of these ideas, they're actually Gnosticism. We we should... We almost should tattoo this on our head. God likes matter. He made the stuff. It's his. It was his idea. And he said it was very good. And at the end, it's a new heaven and a new earth because he's got it right back in line. So friends, I'd encourage you Do you recognize this isn't an ancient history lesson. You are living in a Gnostic culture right now. And ask yourself, if you listen tomorrow, you're going to hear Gnostic statements, and they're going to be trying to convince you and me. Uh, And actually, I will in a few weeks. We're going to go over, uh, we're going to start a new series that's going to be Called the freedom of limits we're going to be looking at our human nature what it means to be human and true humanity is embracing that and the reason i am bring up because our culture in every one of these areas rejects what human nature actually is for the way we feel about it it's very gnostic and it undermines truth and it proclaims freedom when it's actually slavery second question or second part of applying the word is standing against the Gnostic heresy today. Now John tells us in verse 10 and 11, I didn't talk about these during the teaching, but notice he says you can't support or help this in any way. He says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, what I'm talking about, do not take him into your house or welcome him. Anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work. Now he's not saying you can't ever have a meal with somebody who's not an Orthodox Christian. That's not John's point at all. When he's saying welcome into the house, the house was where they had their gatherings. It was where they met. He's writing to the chosen lady and her sister, this this small congregation there. And he's saying, you can't invite these people in. Don't give them your platform to be able to speak. Uh, He's saying, don't give their teaching a place in the church. Friends, we need to demarcate that which is true, authentic Christianity from that which is not. Okay, and again, I'm talking the essentials here. We, we can disagree on mode of baptism or exactly which spiritual gifts continue on today and you know, things like that. What we cannot disagree on is, was Jesus Christ the true God-man? Did he truly die? Has he truly been bodily raised? Has he truly visibly physically going to come back again one day will my body literally be raised there's no room for disagreement here okay no room at all on these essential issues now to do that the part that you and i have is that we have to know the true faith to be able to identify heresy the groups always see when john says they've gone out into the world He's saying that they're trying to spread around. They're trying to spread their message. They've always tried to get inside the church. They made inroads in the New Testament church. Remember all those places I told you? The apostles weren't just giving random lessons. Paul was bringing this up to the Corinthians because it had infected the Corinthian church. He was bringing it up to the Colossians because it had affected the Colossian church. It was all over the churches in Asia. So you and I have to study to know the faith once for all, delivered to God's people, so that we can recognize error quickly. We need to know and understand the reality of what it means to be human. So when somebody says, hey, you're a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body, warning bells go off and say, that's not true. That's, that's denigrating my body. Okay, when they start describing sanctification, and sanctification is done by somehow becoming less human, by putting down my body, that's not true. I, I've got sins going on in my heart that I'm afraid to even let come out and actually act on them. God wants me to pure, be purified from both. So we need to be like, you know, experts out there. If you are a, an expert whose job is to recognize counterfeit money, what do you think you spend? Your time really becoming familiar with the real thing. You can't ever keep up with all the counterfeits that are out there. You learn the real thing, so when a counterfeit comes, you say, I'm calling that with something. That's not right. By learning the real so well. So, are you and I devoted to studying and growing in the faith? Deceitful ideas are going to be pressed upon you and me every day, they are going to come to us. They'll try to say you can make Christianity fit. And the reason for doing this, see the Gnostics came up with this. It wasn't just some weird thing. It fit with Greco-Roman culture. This is what was popular. It made Christianity palatable and easy to fit in the culture. That's why they were buying into it. That's why they were, were doing this. And People are going to say that with us today. Again, the, the reason of bringing this up, and you're going to hear more and more and more of this, we want to deny our body because we want to live a certain way. Christians cannot give in to that. So am I devoted to growing in the faith? Uh, I, here's a couple of tips what to do. I was thinking this morning as we were singing, Tom had picked out some excellent songs. Were you singing? See, this is not time to play around. We sing the faith. Come behold the wondrous mystery that's been handed to us. Did you hear there was a lot in that song about the incarnation? The first song was based on the Apostles' Creed. The the last song is about the glorious day we're going to be redeemed. Am I singing and meditating on this truth and letting it sink into me? Am I studying and meditating upon God's Word? Am I digging into God's Word to meditate on it? See, here's the problem. When you are faced 24-7, and you are, with unauthentic ideas, you better be getting booster shots every day of the Word of God. You better be filling your mind up with the Word of God. You better be letting the Word of God rewire the way your brain thinks and operates so you can understand it. I urge you dig into God's word. Take advantage. Right now our life is still under disruption. But you know one advantage is giving you and me, if we can't go out and we can't do all the things we did before, you got more time to dig into God's word. Friends, dig in. Dig deep. Know the truth so that when the unauthentic comes, alarm bells go off, and you say this, there's something wrong with this. This isn't the way that it ought to be. Now what we're going to do is we're going to come to the Lord's table, and we are going to be confessing the authentic faith. Um, If you did not grab, we have some of the communion packets at the back. As I move the table over here, we will, um, we're going to The first thing before we even come to the Lord's table where we're going to confess the authentic faith and we're going to be confessing Jesus' broken body and shed blood, the Gnostics could never come to this table. they got a completely different understanding. But what we're going to do to start with is if you can go ahead and stand, we are going to confess the faith together. And the particular confession we're going to use today is a little different. Normally, we've been doing the Apostles' Creed. We're going to confess this is the Nicene Creed. This is the one that I mentioned was done at Nicaea, which continued on not only rebuking the Gnostics, but it did the opposite error as well, the Arians. The Arians said Jesus was not God. He was just human. The Gnostics said, no, he was God. He just wasn't human. The church says you're both wrong. He's both. So we're going to confess these words, and I want to remind you, Christians have been confessing these words for over 1,700 years together. So we are going to confess the faith together. We'll put them up on the screen. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through Him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, He came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day He rose again according to the Scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory. To judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to life in the world to come. Amen. You can be seated. Friends, if you were able to say those words and you believe them, then you believe and embrace the faith that has been once for all Delivered to the saints. And if you are in that group, hear Jesus' words of invitation. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Friends, if you believe the faith, if you believe in Jesus Christ, the God-man, crucified, dead, buried, raised, and coming again for you, then I invite you to this table. For what I receive from the Lord I pass on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, This cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Friends, go ahead and get your packet ready with the bread. Jesus, in your days on earth, you taught, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Lord, when you said those words, many said it was a hard saying, and they turned away. But as your people, we take this bread, and we confess that you are the living bread, that you became truly human, for us, and for our salvation, that your flesh was torn and put to death, that we might live through faith in you. And we profess that in your body you were raised from the dead, so that one day when you return, our bodies will be raised to eternal life as well. Friends, take and eat the bread of life. Lord, through the ages, your people offered animals in sacrifice. But these sacrifices had to be repeated time and again because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when you came, Jesus, you said, Sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Therefore, you said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. When you came and did the Father's will, you fulfilled our obligation to God and his law. And with one perfect sacrifice, you cleansed us from all sin making us perfect forever by your blood shed on the cross. So we take this cup and we give you thanks for your blood and we profess it is our only hope of salvation. Take and drink the cup of life. Would you stand with me? And as I pray for the Holy Spirit to come upon us, would you please join with me? Holy Spirit, you are the Lord, the giver of life. You spoke through the prophets, and you anointed Jesus during his days upon the earth. And when Jesus ascended, the Father's right hand, He poured you out in fullness upon the church so that she might be full of the blessings of God and serve His purposes in the earth. So now we, your church, cry out for you to come in fresh, full, Pentecostal fire, filling us that we might speak your word with boldness walk in this world in holiness, and experience the powers of the age to come, even now. We ask this in the name of Jesus, through whom we were created, by whom we are saved, and to whom we will bow in worship through endless ages. And God's people say, Amen. Friends, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Go forth blessed and be a blessing. Amen.